The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. You're listening to the Ricky and Claude Wrestling Show. Listener discretion is advised at all times. And thank you once again for downloading and listening to another episode of the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show. My name is Clive. Sadly, we will not be joined by Ricky this evening due to unforeseen circumstances he's had to pull out at the last minute. But I'm joined by friend of the show, chair shot columnist and Outsider's Edge co-host and podfather of wrestling, Rance Morris. Good evening and welcome back to the show. (laughs) I don't know if I'm the pop father anymore because I don't do so many shows as I used to. But uh, yeah, what's going on, man? I'm good, thanks. I would just like to take this moment to wish all our American listeners uh, a happy Independence Day. And I thought I would give you a wee treat to just make you think fondly of us over here in Scotland. So are you ready? (laughs) I'm ready. I'm so excited for this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, see, can you see by the dawn's early light? I'm kneeling as you think. But I thought the mighty don't kneel. Oh, I'm not. See, I'm not Australian. That's good though. Thank you. I was wondering how I would get that joke in there. Oh, see, I got you. Chemistry. I'll do a quick Ziggler, not Ziggler, McIntyre accent one. What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. I don't know, there seems to be too many words to fit in here now. I'll stop, I'll stop immediately. Yeah, that's about as, that's about as much you need to go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've gone as far as you need to. <laughs> I am sorry, everyone. So, Extreme Rules is just around the corner and we'd like to... Before we do the preview episode next week with preview and predictions, I thought we'd take a wee trip down memory lane like we did with the Money in the Bank episode a few weeks ago and look at the Extreme Rules pay-per-view history as well as all the sort of gimmick hardcore matches that we have had in WWE's history like your Last Man Standings, your Street Fights, who all the MVPs of the genre are. So we'll get to that shortly, but it's been a bit of a, a news week to say the least. Had a couple to of, say the least. To say the least, some controversial topics which started with um, Kenny Omega's show. Well, it wasn't exactly Kenny Omega's show, but the weekend... Oh, it was actually his show. Was yeah, it actually was his show? That was his show. Uh, it was yeah. CEO versus NJPW, something like that. CEO is a gaming company, I believe, and uh, they partnered with New Japan to have a special wrestling show and they gave Kenny full autonomy mm-hmm. you're the book you can you can book whoever you want you can do whatever you want this is your show full autonomy which is really cool for a company of that size to let a wrestler do what he wants on his own show with their brand on it with no like they had no there was no agents there was no nothing it was all you but then the negative of it is 
things like what happened happen. For anyone who isn't aware, there was a dark match at the start of the show, and what was the person's name? I can't. I'm not sure of the first. How name. do you not remember his name? He has the same name as me, Chasm Rants. I know the surname. Um, is it Chasm? Chazin with the N, but Chazin, yes, Chazin sorry. Rance versus Aaron Epic, mm-hmm. yes. And Chazin Rance is, a, is on the Sex Offenders Register for sleeping with a 15-year-old 10 years ago. Not and just that, but he uh, he apparently uh, seduced her across state lines. So it wasn't like, oh, hey, something happened, Wang. No, like it was a, it was a, a seduction of, hey, come on, come meet me type stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was even worse than it sounds. So there's been quite a few opinions on the matter, both on each side of the fence. What are you, what do you, what's your take on it? Well, it's 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 not just as simple as a simple take because you have to you have to take it into account everything that happened. You know, I don't want to make a a pit have an opinion on something without knowing all the facts because your opinion is truly isn't truly. Um, Formed, right. Mm-hmm. So if, to, to kind of give the secondary and tertiary details, um, Chaz and Rance is the owner, apparently, and the head trainer of the uh, Team Vision Dojo in Orlando. And uh, he's been that, doing that for a while, apparently. Whatever. That's another conversation as to should he be teaching all that. That's another conversation. Uh, Kenny and CEO hired that wrestling school to be the ring crew and to give to bring a ring to the venue. So Kenny and to what he's saying is he didn't know Chaz and Rance. He didn't know Rance. Um, he's met him once in 2004, but he did. He did. You know, he couldn't tell him between tell them between me and me and him. Right, basically. Mm-hmm. Um. So because they were so nice and so helpful, he said, all right, well, look, we have we have a dark match already. You guys pick two people you want to wrestle. I'll let you guys have the first dark match just for, as a thank you. No music, no entrance, just get in the ring, go, be done. Of course, they picked their, they picked the trainer. The guy he wrestled had actually uh, been charged with domestic violence. He wasn't convicted, but he did have the case. Or I don't even know he was charged, but he was he was he had an domestic violence issue, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, they have the match, this, that, and the other, whatever. The controversy is, of course, because Kenny didn't know that the dude was a well, you know, was was a, a sex offender registered at that. Kenny didn't know, let him wrestle, didn't do his due diligence. But also, the biggest issue is that when people checked him about it on Twitter the next day, Kenny was defensive and doubled down. He said, well, I could, basically, I couldn't tell he was a criminal because he was so nice, which is a really thing to say. They finally did come out give a real... He said that the guy the ones who introduced him, I because he hadn't seen him since 2004 when they met him past him. But that turned out to be not true because there's a picture of him, the CEO guy, and Rant 2016. Yes, I saw that one. Right, so so it's, should he, I can, I can accept 
I can accept a mistake, right? We can. We all don't. We all make mistakes. I can accept a mistake of, hey man, I didn't vet this dude. I should have vetted it. My bad. But the issue comes when you double down on it. You get mad when people call you out. You kind of stick up with the guy by saying he was nice and you couldn't tell he was a criminal. And then you lie about all the extra details. Lying is a strong word because, okay, he did say that he can't remember meeting him in 2016. He gets his photo taken probably on a daily basis. So there is a chance that he can't remember that meeting. What I would rather that Kenny did now was just refrain from trying to defend himself. He came out with a very clear uh, apology message Sunday morning or so, round about that time, over the weekend. Um, I can understand that he's made a mistake, and I, I, I do believe that he made a mistake he didn't know, and he will look at doing due diligence in the future. So... With, with regards to Kenny in mind, I've not got any issues there apart from him just sort of calming down and just backing away from it now. He's said his, he's said his part. With regards to Chazen himself, I can understand that there are a lot of people who are saying, I didn't know that he was a sex offender, so why should it bother me? Right, that's fair enough to say that, but if there was someone in your workplace who you didn't know was a sex offender, even if they're low down the totem pole of like the high, the managerial hierarchy or they're just a janitor, you would be annoyed if they were a sex offender and you didn't know about it, no matter how unimportant they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think about it like this. Uh, and this might be a little controversial, but hear me out. I don't mind that he is a trainer at a school. And I say that because as long as they're forthcoming about it, when you say, say if I want to go wrestle at his, I want to go train at the school. As long as once they, when I sit down to, with the guys to sign up or whatever, as long as they're forthcoming about, hey, well, just want you to know there's a trainer here who has a history. He's a registered sex offender. He had an issue that was 10 years ago. Boom, boom, boom. If you're forthcoming with it, that's my choice then to say, okay, well, I'm cool with that or not, right? Yes, I mm-hmm. have that choice. The problem with him wrestling at that show was the people who had who watched him had no choice as to watch him. He wasn't advertised. They just threw him out there, so there was no choice to say, well, I'm cool with this. Much like you said, if you work with a guy who's a, or a woman, I'm sorry, who's a registered sex offender, you would want to know if you worked with them in your workplace. Um, and then there's also a lot of, lot, of, lot of more legal details as to I don't know how it is in the UK, but in America, if you are a registered sex offender, then you cannot work in any place that involves kids. This is a gaming convention where kids are very clearly going to be. And the guy who booked the show didn't know the guy that a guy working for the company who owns the company actually is a registered sex offender. So there's a lot of issues there too. Uh, but yeah, you, why wouldn't you want to know? That's something that you should know. Even if he, he could be the greatest guy in the world and made a mistake. Instead of, he still, he was, he was convicted and charged mm-hmm. with a crime. Right? Yeah. The, the others... I'm just, I just don't, I don't get it. I mean, I'm not sure if we have heard the whole story or if this will brushed under the rug as not the right word here but if it's not going to be much of a story anymore it's dealt with 
I'm not sure of the ramifications for Kenny or New Japan because it was their name that was on the show as well as CEO. But there is something else that's come about and I was only made aware of it by yourself in the last hour or so that apparently Ring of Honor's Taylor Hendricks did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she has made claims. Taylor Hendricks, perfect. Taylor Hendricks has recently made claims that Jay Lethal told her that she was taken off of Ring of Honor TV because she didn't sleep with him. Now that's quite a serious allegation to make. I've read this. Oh my of, God! Yes. The the tweets that she's had back and forth. I'm not sure what the argument was at the start, but she ended up with saying, "Also, the dude that you're standing up for, aka Lethal." Is the same dude that told me because I didn't sleep with him, they sabotaged me and took me off TV. Now, this was in the middle of a conversation with someone on Twitter. It wasn't just a klaxon, I have an announcement to make. It was within a conversation, which makes me think there's something to that. Well, so the conversation started with somebody said that they missed the House of Truth. If you don't watch Ring of Honor, the House of Truth was a stable that involved a lot of different wrestlers during the t- during this period, but the main people were uh, Truth Martini, who was the manager, and he had this big book called the Book of Truth, which was where he got his stuff from. I, I do know that actually, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And Jay Lethal was the head of the was like the the main guy in the stable. Taylor Hendricks was the valet, and so you know at one point it was just those three, but they had other people in and out eventually. But someone said they missed the House of Truth. Taylor said, "I don't. It should ha- it should have been called the House of Hendricks. What is truth? Jay done. What do they draw? Being a funny guy with the book talking about truth. The other one only talks about his time and impact uh, impact copying legends. Talking about Jay. For real, bro. The legacy is copying legends. So somebody responded to her saying, I mean, Jay is now a two time Ring of Honor World Champion, longest reigning Ring of Honor Television Champion." And the only man in the history of Ring of Honor to become undisputed Ring of Honor champion, world and TV at the same time. No offense to you or anything, but what have you done lately? And that's when she said, also, the dude you're standing up for is the same dude that told me because I didn't sleep with him. They sabotaged me, took me off TV. Mm-hmm. And, and that being the almighty J. So, who? Um, yeah, man, it's a hell of a time for that shit to come out. Straight off the off the back of the carry on with Chas and Rance at the weekend as well. Oh, and I mean, and we're in the middle of the Me Too movement, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, God, Enzo just got ex- exonified from losing his career because of accusations. So, like, it's it's still very, very, uh, very aware in our minds as wrestling fans, if not just as people. I used to think for quite a while, a few years ago, when you have footballers, um, rock stars, pop stars, and like movie stars, like Sir Harvey Weinstein and stuff like that, and I remember yeah. thinking, there hasn't been sort of anything like this coming from the wrestling world in quite some time, and I wondered why that was the case, but it looks like, whether true or not, the time has come where wrestlers are being brought up for allegations, and... Because of what happened with Enzo, where he was exonerated uh, and proven innocent, there's going to be people who won't believe Taylor Hendricks in this, I believe. Well, I think there's a difference between the lady that happened with Enzo 
and with Taylor Hendricks. And for the record, Enzo wasn't proven innocent. He just was never charged. Oh, they, yeah, so they. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, now, we could all say or think he's innocent, and that's our right to believe that. But they, and if you re, if you actually believe what he says, and you listen to believe what he says, and and hear all of the details of where he's what he said, not only was he never charged or or let known about it, but he had to literally pay his lawyer for five months to chase him down to say, well, look, y'all didn't charge me with anything. This lady called y'all about a rape charge and y'all didn't do anything for five months what the hell are y'all doing mm-hmm. uh, so it depends on you believe him or not but this is the Enzo conversation but the difference between the the Enzo la- the lady with Enzo and Taylor is and I'm being honest I'm not saying it's right but it's just what it is the lady with Enzo has a history of drug addiction mm-hmm. very strong history she has uh, a history with a lot of mental uh, issues like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder uh huh so she has a very checkered history with things. And on top of that, which that has nothing to do with supposedly making something up, possibly. But she's also been caught making up stories of crimes committed to her. Yes. So she wasn't a very she wasn't a, a very trustworthy witness anyway, or not witness, but a person. Whereas Taylor has no reason to lie, at least in our eyes. It was just the the part the the fact that it was in the middle of the conversation that struck me. No, absolutely, and I don't know, man. Like sometimes you feel like okay, so like you heard about you know who Chris Harbick is, I'm sure, right? Um, what's that podcast called? Nerdist. The Nerdist, yes. Uh huh. Yeah, I heard yeah. about that. Um, so his ex-girlfriend came out and said that he emotionally abused her and she wrote this really really long and pointed essay right well so sometimes the perception is by people who aren't who aren't respectful of the women and coming forward with their with their situations a lot of people will say well why did you come out with it did you come out with it to hurt the guy did you come out with it because you wanted to take something away from the guy and then there's people that, and that's not true, by the way. I don't think that's true, but that's what people think. Mm-hmm. Then you have people who say, well, when a woman came forward, if she, she didn't come forward trying to hurt him, she just came forward telling her truth. In this situation, and both, and like I said, I don't think any woman who comes forward, however she comes forward, is her absolute right to come forward how she feels for whatever reason, however, reason, however she does it. It's her right. But in this case, it didn't feel like she was coming out to hurt the guy. She was just like, hey, I want you to know, you think this guy's so great? He's not so great. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't feel like she was like, oh, I want to tear him down because he won the world championship. It felt like, you know, you sitting here talking about how great this guy is. I don't think you know how great he really is. The timing for Jay Leto, as you've just said there, is bad because he has just won the, the ROH title as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, this is the biggest time period for Ring of Honor in general, coming off of Supercard, their biggest show ever, going into All In at September. And Jay Lethal is on BTE now, which is like, outside of WWE, is probably like the most visible storytelling mm-hmm. in wrestling. So, oof. Is, is Jay Lethal a Bullet Club member? I don't think he is, is he? 
No, but uh, they have a lot of guys on that show now that aren't Bullet Club members, like uh, uh, Southern SoCal Uncensored, uh, Kazarian Daniels and Scorpio Sky are on the show. Joey Ryan's on the show. Stephen Amell's on the show. Not like they just have a lot of guys involved Ring of Honor now. Mm-hmm. With regards to Lethal, according to what Hendrick said, has her uh, her time on TV was sabotaged because Lethal she wouldn't sleep with Lethal. Mm-hmm. That suggests to me that Lethal has the ear of management or whatever. This looks bad for, if it's true, this looks bad for Ring of Honor as well. Not just Lethal. Well, there have been three people in Ring of Honor's history, to my knowledge, and somebody listening, will, I'm sure, will correct me. But in the recent time of Ring of Honor, who have been considered Mr. Ring of Honor, and that's Kevin Steen, a.k.a. Kevin Owens, that's Roddy Strong, and that's Jay Lethal. And those are the three that stayed kind of the longest Mm-hmm. It kind of held down the fort, right? Um, so, you know, Jay's been there, God, longer than, other than the Briscoes, right now, longer than just about anybody. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I'm not saying that he's Lesnar or Cena or nothing, but I'm sure if he wants to go talk to Joe Coff, he probably got him on the phone. He probably got him on his phone. Like, uh-huh. hey, Joe, I need to talk to you. And Joe Coff is the COO. Of Ring of Honor, by the way, the guy in charge. Right. Well, that's as interesting times ahead. It is one of those things the news just broke recently this evening. Don't know much else at the moment. Maybe there'll be news in the morning, a couple of days. We'll just need to wait and see. But are there any other controversial issues you'd like to discuss? Or is no? I mean, that's all I know as of right now, and I—that's enough. That, exactly. <laughs> Man, too too many. Oh, by the way, just to be more messy, you know who trains at Chaz and Rance's school, right? No, Izzy. Oh, Bailey, super fan. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that people we don't realize. So, so many people were so quick to stick up for Kenny because they're Kenny fans. Like, that's what we do as wrestling fans, right? No matter what somebody does, there's people that still come out and say Ben Wild was a great person. Like, that's what we do as wrestling yeah. fans. We stick up what we like. But so many people were so quick to to defend Kenny that they didn't even look at the situation of just Chaz and Rance in his school in general. Mm-hmm. Like, that whole situation is so messy that you have a girl who, now granted, her parents signed off for her to be at that school. If you look at every video she's in, her dad is always there with her while she's training, so it might be okay. But just the optics of that, my God. I know. It's bizarre. Just, I think uh, Josh and Jeremy on Keeping It Strong Style had some quite sensible things to say about it as well. So uh, They were there. They went. They were there, that's right. So that was a, that is a cheap plug for their show, which has already dropped, but they've got a... Obviously, they're New Japan guys. They've got a lot of input with regards to Kenny's career at the moment. So if you're looking for more input, head over there. So we'll get back to the talking points of our show this week. It's the history of hardcore wrestling in WWE. This is due to Extreme Rules pay-per-view coming next Sunday. This is the ninth year. Is that right? Ninth or eighth year? It started in 2009. Well, it's one of those ones because it kind of birthed from ECW's One Night Stands 
And then the one night stand had a suffix of extreme rules, and then it became its own in 2009, roughly. Right. This is the 10th year. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah. So where do you think, see in terms of all these gimmick pay-per-views, where you have Hell in a Cell, TLC, Chamber now and again, where do you think it sits? The, where do you think it sits in terms of importance? Bearing in mind as well, this is a quote-unquote off-season between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. It's it's definitely the lowest. Uh, um, and that's agree. not a diss to it. Yeah, that's that's not a diss at all. It's but it's the lowest because the other the other shows you just mentioned, right? TLC has become one of the bigger, more popular shows recently, mm-hmm. and the Chamber and Hell in a Cell, or normally feud enders or like feud escalators right yeah so this is the, this is the only show that really exists just to exist and this actually extreme rules actually took the backlash role of the post wrestlemania show until they brought backlash back they That's just brought right. it back recently right mm-hmm. but when before they did when there was no brand split when they ki- kind of killed the brand split uh this was that was the show that came normally after that after WrestleMania, so then it made sense that I well a lot of feuds start at WrestleMania, and a lot of feuds are ending at WrestleMania, so you know you run it back because you know WWE's always gonna have a rematch, might as well escalate the feud, so but it's low it's the lowest in terms of importance in my opinion. Uh-huh. I think this is one of the pay-per-views as well where I think in the past with especially the likes of Hell in a Cell some feuds have naturally come to the point where a Hell in a Cell match is required I would say that Sasha and Charlotte merited that a couple of years ago That whole whole show, all three of them on that show all deserved it Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a good pay-per-view that one But Extreme Rules, just I think there's something Oh right WrestleMania's finished, we need to have an Extreme Rules pay-per-view, let's have a cage match, let's have a strap match, when there's really not much need for them. Can you think of yeah. it, Can you think of anywhere there has been a need? One that I can think of at the top of my head, which happened quite recently, was the Roman Reigns AJ Styles match, Extreme Rules, because their yeah. previous match at Payback that year ended with quite controversially and they had to that have, was the one that had the three finishes, right? Mm-hmm. They had to have extreme rules to basically say, right, there will be a definitive victor in this. Uh, so that one stands out. Was it the same? That was the same year where we had the Dean Ambrose and Jericho Asylum match. I think so. Now, I may be the, one of the only people in the IWC who thinks this, but I liked that match. I liked the idea of the match, but it the the. See, so that that match is indicative of, of Ambrose's issues as a wrestler in general. Is it was too wacky, right? You know, and again, Lunatic Dean Ambrose, even as a face, is great, but he veers into that. Okay, well, it's kind of funny to it's too wacky. Like when he was coming out when he was in Vegas when he won the title, he was coming out with the hats and all. Like it's a little too wacky. So that I think, in my opinion, was a little too wacky, and some of some parts of the match were great, but then some of it was like, I don't know about this. It was a wee bit plodding at points. I do agree, but I think it was. I mean, this all stemmed from them just starting to have a feud together, and then Jericho broke the 
potted plant, Mitch? I mean, Mitch, yeah. When you think about it on that, with that on its own, the feud is already based on wacky stuff, but Dean Ambrose cherished that potted plant, so I can understand if he's wanting to bring plants, um, plant pots or mops into the ring. It was, I can remember thinking that people won't like this, but I don't know, I just quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed the matches that they had in general. They were a wee oh, bit no, they slow. Had fun matches, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I thought Dean Ambrose is the next year. Now, we're talking about Extreme Rules, but the match that he had with The Miz last year, where the stipulation was because of previous shenanigans and matches, that there were there, this was a DQ Rules match. And I thought that was one of the better matches I've seen at the pay-per-view in its history. And you know... Uh the beauty of it is everything about extreme rules is supposed to be stipulated, right? Well, the stipulation was there was no stipulation, which is kind of really clever. It stood out because of that for me. It yeah. seemed like a special attraction match. Absolutely. And, uh, any, that period, that, that SmackDown period of Miz and Ambrose and then Miz and Ziggler and just that three, four, five months of fighting over the IC title, it's just great stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. just great stuff. I got a I got a ma- match for you that when I think of the pay per view Extreme Rules that I think of immediately in 2012, uh, Punk and Punk and Jericho in the Chicago Street fight. Mm-hmm. Now that's you know the one the one one of the things I love about street fights, uh, like the traditional street fights. I love when wrestlers who normally wear trunks come in jeans. Because it makes it look like they're really they're really coming to fight. Yeah, uh, Michaels was good for that back in the day. Yes, yes, I, he would come come in jeans with the chaps and the boots. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that, that was quite a heated feud. Was that the one where Jericho was calling out Punk's dad for being a substance abuser, alcoholic. an alcoholic, and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah, that was His quite dad good. And sister, yeah. I, I actually preferred their match that they had at Payback the following year. Just from a yeah. qual- match quality standpoint. Because I remember... Well, all their stuff is great. Uh-huh. I remember this is when my um, hiatus from wrestling, I asked, him to, I asked Ricky to give me some CM Punk matches to watch and he advised of the Street Fight one. I thought, that's not bad, but I much preferred the Payback one. All of... Uh all of the Punk Jericho match, they have great chemistry. Uh-huh. Well, the one, the thing about Punk and Jericho is they're truly thinking wrestlers. They're always thinking, how can like a lot of wrestlers like just do the spots, right? But they're actually trying to formulate a story. So put those two together, and it's always going to come up with something. Like the WrestleMania match when uh, um, when Jericho powerbombed Punk on the outside, like you know, just little things that they add to it. They're just really good at that. Jericho's really good for sequencing his match as well. Yeah, absolutely. He's always thinking two, three moves ahead, how to get there, what to do after that, and I do appreciate that about him. I noticed that quite evidently in his match with Kevin Owens at WrestleMania. It just seemed like it was very fluid and it moved well. I know that Vince wasn't a fan of it, when they showed the 365 documentary, but that was one of the better matches on the show for me, that one. Man, the finger. And then the next match, he attacked the finger so it wouldn't happen again. Uh Beautiful stuff, man. Just small things like that. 
Yeah, Jericho's uh, most recent run in WWE has been excellent. He says it, it says it might be his best. Well, from from a character standpoint, it's definitely his best. Maybe not from a match standpoint. I'm not sure. Yes, from an entertainment standpoint, yes. But I think his character work with Shawn Michaels in 2003 was my favorite time of Jericho. Oh, it's my favorite time too. But the dude got over a list. I know, and he got over. You know what the, he got yeah. over the word "it" as well. Right? Like, <laughs> who does that? Jericho. That's all. Yeah. Nobody else in the world, man. I know. So, you have seen the sort of wee notes that I've got for the show, and I've got the spoiler here already. Who would you say is the MVP of the Extreme Rules pay per view? I know you have the answer oh, there. Of the Extreme Rules pay-per-view. Um, I would probably say I would be partial to... you. So, okay. You're going to laugh at my pick. Because I would... My first thought is to say Punk. But actually, I think Sheamus might be the my, my MVP for the whole... For the pay-per-view. Do you know... I was thinking of him... Just of the pay-per-view in general. Like, we're not talking about hardcore matches or Extreme Rules matches in the totality of the WWE. We're talking about the pay-per-view. Yes, the, and, Im- the impact and the, the win-loss ratio and stuff like that. I am going to... I got the Wikipedia up. I want to read to you and to the listeners some of the matches he's been involved with. Okay, in 2010, he was in a street fight against Triple H. Yes, that was and, good. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just agreeing. I did. I remember watching that match. That was good. In 2011, he was in a tables match for the U.S. title against Kofi Kingston. Is that the one where you see the clip of all the time where Kofi Kingston comes off the ladder and goes through the table? Is that the same one? No, that that was one. That was Money in the Bank match. All oh, right, right. <clears throat> in 2012, was the match that most IWC. Die Hard's Love is a two out of three falls match between mm-hmm. Sheamus and Brian for the World Heavyweight Championship. Yep. I've I've not got much of a memory of that one actually. I would like to go that and watch match it again. It's fire. When I tell you it's <laughs> fire, my God, that match is true. That's the match that people wanted to see at WrestleMania. And they didn't get it. Yeah, well I mean I again I'm a story guy. The story they were trying to tell made more sense to me. So I was okay with the WrestleMania finish because I knew it was going to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2013, Sheamus and Mark Henry in a strap match. That wasn't a great match. I remember it. It was fun. It wasn't great, but it was fun. Uh, where am I? In 2014. He must have been hurt because I don't see him on the card. He was injured for quite some time between 14 and 15. Well, there you go. That's why. 2015 uh, was Dolph versus Sheamus in a Kiss kiss Me Arse match. <laughs> kiss Me Arse match, that's right. Do you remember that? I do, actually. The match was great. I just hated the finish. Uh, uh, it's too hokey, those finishes. Well, when, when the purpose of the match is to kiss me arse, you know, I don't really... Cause didn't, no, you can go with that. The Rock and Billy Gunn had a match like that, didn't they? At SummerSlam 99. 
that was their first big match, yeah. Because remember, he just won the King of Ring the, the, the uh, month before. Billy Gunn? Yeah, Billy Gunn. That was the year. Because remember, they were trying to move him to the, to the main event. And uh, Triple H has just joined uh, the corporation in China. Mm-hmm. Would you argue, I know we're going off topic, but would you argue that Billy Gunn is the least successful king of the ring? Are we counting the traditional ones or all of them? Because Barry is easily the worst. Uh-huh. I take that back, that actually. Talent. Yeah. Maybe Mabel as well. Yeah, but Mabel got a huge push after that, though. Aye. Barrett didn't. Mabel. Who? Barrett. Uh, bad news, Barrett didn't. No, actually, if anything, that was a demotion because Bad News Barrett got over, and then they made him come out with the crown and a cape. And it's like, wait a minute. Um. And then Neville, didn't Neville win it too? Uh, no, Barrett beat Neville in the finals. That's right. No, Neville was the king of the cruiserweights. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, and just to finish the shameless thing real quick, we can finish talk. We can keep talking about the king of the ring. In 2017, uh, Cesaro and Seamus versus the Hardys in the cage match. Yeah. A cage match. So Seamus has had some classics. He has had some classics. But I think there's someone who has had a few more classics, and it is the man of the moment, everyone's favourite Anoa'i family member, Roman Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> Samoan Joe. Not Samoa Joe, uh-huh. Samoan Joe. Uh, I mean, first one was versus Team Hell No, is that right? Back in 2013. Yeah. 2014 was the yeah. the huge match with it was the Shield versus Evolution. 2015 he had, and I don't care what anyone says. I know that people were starting to get down on Roman Reigns at the time, but that last man standing match with the Big Show was excellent. Well, to be fair, that's one of the matches that even his most ardent haters say that was a good match. It, 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 it's really good that match. I thought. I don't want to say that Big Show did well putting him over, but Roman Reigns looked great after that. Well, see, the, the reason why people, the reason why that's one of the few matches that people give him credit for, is because Roman carried that match. Like Rome, like it wasn't like, like Roman. That's one of the few matches you see Roman lead. Like Roman led that match. Mm-hmm. So, and then the next year you had the match of the year candidate with AJ Styles, which we mentioned earlier, which was. A th- oh. Such a good match. Both of those matches that they had in 2016 were really good. It's hard to pick which yeah. was the best one, but that's another one they can add to his his repertoire. The Fatal Five-Way match at last year's Extreme Rules, obviously he didn't win that one, and there were more standout performances in that match, but he was still involved in a really good match. So that's that's not bad going. I know Sheamus has, had, has been in the pay-per-view more, but look at the matches that Roman Reigns has had. So that's why I would argue that he's the MVP for Extreme Rules. I'm never going to disagree with you about Roman. So <laughs> I'm good with that. Uh, I just wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't, maybe it's because of the recency. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, I guess maybe that was what was kind of throwing me off. Right. But yeah, I mean, he's had tremendous match. But I mean, God, Roman's been in a lot of great matches. It, it, we're not going to talk about this. Is not going to be a Roman Reigns conversation. We're not going to do that. If you we want, do that enough. You're the as the candle, as a candlestick, and Beauty and the Beast said, 
be our guest. You talk about what you want to talk about. <laughs> I don't want to be known as the Roman Reigns guy. I'm already kind of known that as that now. But no, I just, you know, just if you think about it, like, think about pay-per-views. Like, most of his pay-per-view matches have been really good to to great-ish. Mm, Recently, no. No. uh, Recently, not this year, like, no. I blow hot and cold on Roman Reigns. I'm not sure if he's had a good pay-per-view match this year. He hasn't. Do you think that's his fault? No. I'm not I'm just looking at like wrestling like technical wrestling in the ring. Do you think that's his fault? Do you think maybe his confidence is not? No, because his matches on, on TV are great. The problem is is that so the reason let me go on a quick tangent. A lot of people try to compare wrestling to other things, right? Compare wrestling to sports or compare wrestling to movies or compare wrestling to things, whatever, other stuff, right? The reason it's so hard to compare is because the one difference between sports, sports doesn't have a scripted uh, contingent. Entertainment doesn't have a live contingent, right? Mm -hmm. So it's so different in that, yes, things are scripted, but you're dealing with a live audience, and the live audience truly affects what happens in the ring. And more than that, a live audience truly affects your perception of what happens in the ring. So, yeah. So when you have matches like he had at WrestleMania, and then you have a match like he had at Payback, and you have a match like he had um, at Backlash, you don't. The match could be five stars in the ring. You don't care because the crowd response was so distracting or detracting, right? Consequently, let me flip it for you. Uh. I think Meltzer gave AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura at WrestleMania four stars. Am I right? Four, four and a half, uh, four and a quarter? I'm not sure, actually. But I think it was four. I could be wrong. I'll look it up. But most people will tell you that match was disappointing. The match was disappointing because the crowd wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. So at some points, it doesn't really matter what you do in the ring if the package doesn't look great. Or isn't or is it if the package doesn't match what's happening? Right. So I uh, we could go on, and I suppose Roman Reigns could be have his own podcast series. When you think about it, so many people put so much thought into his booking, all the nuances. I think they're looking just a bit too deeply, but. Um, right. I've lost track now. Apologies. <laughs> well, that's Roman, man. That's what Roman will do to you. <laughs> that's yeah. what he'll do. He gets deep into your brain, so he does. So, right. A random question for you to bring it back into the hardcore world. What What do you think is an outdated gimmick? Outdated? Whew. Okay. Um... Damn, that's what you didn't give me. I, you didn't let me know ahead of time to think about. I'll t- I, I, don't, I don't know if I can answer outdated, but I will tell you what bothers me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a gimmick that bothers me is I hate that they don't express the difference between a street fight and no disqualification. It's just a name, isn't it? It's it's supposed to be just a name, but there really are differences. Yeah, the street like, fight. There's, like there's the street fight is where you wear jeans. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Oh. No, one of them is supposed to be like a no DQ match is supposed to one of them is supposed to like uh like you're supposed to pin in the ring. Another one you does it doesn't matter or something like that. Um one of them you can have rope breaks, another one you can't. It's it's like some subtle differences. Well, and like that annoys me. The no holds barred one, that means you don't get to use the break the rope, sorry. No DQ I think that can basically a no DQ I mean at the end of the day these are all hardcore matches with different ways and how you can win but I do I know where you're coming from I think it's just the name and the tone and the feeling that these names give people so for instance see can I say I don't see the need for a Chicago street fight just call it a street fight well that's just to make you feel better but make make it feel bigger mm-hmm. like for example if, if Finley's in a match as a Belfast brawl like it's just to kind of, kind of, or when Regal was in some of his matches, it'd be the Duchess of Queensbury match or something like oh, that. Queensbury rules, it's, that's right. Queensbury rules, yeah. So it's just kind of to make the, to kind of make the moment feel more current. Uh huh. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's all, yeah, that's all it is. I like the sound of a street fight more than I like the sound of no DQ. But there have been a lot of new, good no DQ matches because look at, I don't know if you remember it. This was just hot off of Seth Rollins turning heel, and him and Dean Ambrose had a, a no DQ match on Raw, and they basically did a curb stomp through some real, real ass cinder blocks, which wrote Dean Ambrose off TV for a while so he could do twelve rounds three. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a fantastic match. But they, but those those two have great chemistry anyway. They could, I mean, they can do that with any match they had. But the, to keep things very current and topical, there was an ODQ match on two o five live last night between Mustafa Ali and Buddy Murphy. That was the so. Uh, that is GIF heaven right now. Spanish fly out there. What I liked about that was there wasn't a chair in sight. No chairs. Well, see, I appreciate. When we've we, I mean, most of us have been watching wrestling for ten, fifteen, some of us twenty years, right? Mm-hmm. So I appreciate when you have guys like Ali and Buddy, or to go back to the original guys you said, Ambrose and Rollins, who see the gimmick, appreciate the gimmick, but want to make it current. So like the the spot that Ali had last night, with he did a superplex on top of the stairs that were stood up. Like that is truly a genius spot because nobody would ever think to do it. In fact, it was so dangerous. I don't know if you paid attention to it. The ref was holding the stairs. Was he? Yes, because it was so. The, the, those steps can move at any moment. So you know they didn't want him to get hurt, mm-hmm. but it looked so great. Or like you talk about the Spanish fly, uh, off of the barricade onto the table, which didn't break. Uh-huh. Like just. Or even something as simple as when Buddy brought the steps into the ring, he drop kicked him, he drop kicked the steps into Ali, and then he did a tope off the steps mm-hmm. over the ropes. Yeah. So little things like that that you've seen, but give him a different twist. Or with um, Ambrose and Rollins, I think my favorite match of theirs I've ever had is the lumberjack match, oh, and it's, I said it's my favorite match because they they completely redefined the gimmick. They did. That was one of the more sort of chaotic 
at the same time entertaining matches I've seen in a long time. And it was one of those ones where Lumberjack matches are good for getting your your jobbers onto the card as well. Gives them a wee sort of five minutes of fame. There's nothing wrong with that now and again. Uh, what I liked about the Ali Buddy Murphy match, they've had four matches now on 205 Live and they've been very innovative with their moves but also use of the ring and the surrounding furniture. This time with the yeah. the rules relaxed considerably, they were able to use weapons and incorporate stairs, the the commentary table and stuff like that. Using those using those weapons without it made it feel very fresh seeing the stuff that they were doing. The the tornado DDT which finished the match it looked so devastating and all that was different about it was it was elevated by a, a feet, a couple of feet. Yeah. Yeah. So that was top-notch stuff. And I think the next point I was wanting to bring up was, at first when this was announced last week that it was a new DQ match, no DQ match, I thought, why? Why is that required? But then I remembered that Hideo Itami had intervened, interfered in their match a couple of weeks ago. And it got me thinking of, hardcore wrestling's great fun. Uh, it's I mean I watch ICW there's quite a lot of violent weapons based matches in that but sometimes it's just for the sake of it Yeah, I think the best hardcore matches whether it's a street fight or a last man standing or a hell in a cell whatever you want to pick they come the best ones originate from when there's a story need for it and one that comes to the top of my head straight away is definitely the Edge McFoley match at Wrestlemania 22 Absolutely. Uh, Edge had just lost to John Cena when he won his first world title. And he thought, how am I going to prove myself? And brought Mick Foley in. I mean, behind the scenes, it was all about Mick Foley wanting to give Edge the rub and prove to Vince that Edge could be a main eventer. But they brought that onto the screen a wee bit and Edge had to go into his dark side to prove to himself as well that he could beat the best. So the use of hardcore rules in that match really lent themselves very well. And obviously, you've got sickening spots like spears onto flaming tables, which stays in your memory for a long time. But the, one of the well, best parts about that match was Edge after the match, where he was looking like shaking. Yeah. Uh, just excellent yeah. stuff. That shot is one of the best shots that, that WWE's ever done. Is that shot of Edge just literally shaking from shock. It, and I don't think that was like that wasn't acting, bro. Like he was really shaky. He was really in shock. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing about that match that was so tremendous was he came out. Foley came out to the ring, wrapped in barbed wire. <laughs> That's right. Because so he knew Edge was going to try to spear him, and Edge wasn't prepared for barbed wire. It just. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you brought up brought that up because I was actually going to ask you to to kind of go to McFoley because. So Mick Foley has a history of what what if what the Flair call him a glorified stuntman kind of sorta, of. mm-hmm. with all of his deathmatch history in Japan and ECW, him and Funk and all this. But what I appreciated about Foley in WWE was his hardcore matches or street fights, whatever you want to call them, were never just for the purpose of hitting somebody with the chair, right? Mm-hmm. They always had a story. You get you talked about the Edge and McFoley match, and remember, Edge won the title at No at News Revolution with the Money in the Bank, and in the rematch against Cena at Royal Rumble, Foley was the, Foley was the uh, 
ref. Which is why right. Foley got involved. That's why Edge took it took it out on Foley. I forgot all about um, that. That's so that's that, so that's why they started. That's why the feud started. You talk about Randy Orton and oh. and uh, Foley and Fantastic. the story behind that. You know, it is that Foley was feeling down on himself, and Edge. I mean, and, and Randy kept talking trash about him and spitting his face and. He was ready to fight him, and he walked out. And then they had the WrestleMania match, and Rock came back to help him, and they still lost. And Foley had to go back, back to their dark side mm-hmm. to go after Orton. And Orton was the golden boy who wanted to prove he belonged. Or better yet, I think the first real Foley match that made me say, hey, this dude is for real, and it wasn't just for spots, the the Royal Rumble street fight against Triple H. Yeah. The That's the giant. match that made people realize Triple H was a real superstar. Uh huh. Yeah, I thought that myself. This was when I was still at an age where, although I knew that wrestling was scripted and stuff like that, I despised Triple H very much so to the point where <laughs> I was so excited when The Rock beat Triple H at Backlash that year. Um, we will go. I want to do. I want to talk about the Triple H match in a wee minute, but. For me, you touched on things about the Randy Orton Foley match at Backlash. For me, I looked at it differently, where this was Randy Orton in his legend killer mode. It ran through quite a few of them leading up to that. That's point. right. Uh, you would obviously have Undertaker later on in 2005, but Foley was just another one on Randy Orton's hit list for legend killers, and I think that's what sold it for me. He had to he had to go hardcore to beat the king of hardcore. And I just think that Foley took him mentally, physically, emotionally to the brink of his own sanity and for him to come out on top of that. For me, oh, that was the best. See, 04, 05, that Randy Orton will never be topped. I know it's late now for him, he's winding down. He had the Viper stuff going on in 2009 and 10, but 2004 and 5, that was Randy Orton at his very best. But that's where he cared the most because he was so young. Uh-huh. I don't think he had been jaded yet. You know, he, he he cared the most. The only other Randy Orton that could compare was IED Randy Orton when he was bald and he was attacking Triple H and, and handcuffing Triple H to the ropes and kissing Steph while she was knocked out and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only one that could compare. But uh, was it the age of Orton? Orton? Was that it? Um, But yeah, but 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 Legend Killer Randy Orton was tremendous. What he did to Sean and what he did to Van Dam and attacking Harley Race in St. Louis and yeah, good uh, stuff. And um, Muller as well, which in hindsight was quite enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. So with the theme of staying with hardcore matches with a story behind them being the best, you're talking about the Cactus Jack Triple H one. That's another one where. In kayfabe, Mankind was fired and The Rock, it might have actually been the first Raw of 2000, maybe it was New Year's Day or something like that. The Rock and the whole roster demanded to Triple H, who was in charge at the time, that Foley be reinstated and Cactus Jack came. He didn't come back that night, but he came back. It was the only way he was going to be able to try and vanquish Triple H and we know that Triple H and Cactus Jack have a history. From 97 and 98, they've butted heads before. So the only way that mankind felt that he could beat Triple H was 
in the guise of Cactus Jack, and that street fight was nasty stuff. Oh my! Triple H legitimately had like a gash in his leg, like mm-hmm. like inches long and deep. Uh, that's why he kept. If you watch that match back, he limped throughout like the second half of the match. Um, there was, and by the way, that card because on that same card was uh, it was a Madison Square Garden. On that same card was the Dudleys and the Hardys in a table match, elimination table match. And that's where Jeff did the swanton mm-hmm. off the top of from the crowd. So that entire card was crazy. Um, but uh, if you if you remember in the match, uh, Foley uh, suplexed uh, Triple H onto a pallet and part of the pallet was sticking out and that's how he hurt his leg. Oh, it's always something innocuous that gets the worst of them, isn't it? Innocuous. That That's an SAT word. That is a, a, a grade <laughs> A word. Innocuous. Um, yes, absolutely. But man, and then the thumbtacks and the 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 God, the pedigree onto the thumb, thumbtacks. Oh. That was the first time I'd seen thumbtacks. I was horrified. So you didn't. So you didn't watch the uh, the Hell in a Cell with him and Taker. I had got into wrestling after that had happened, so I watched okay. it like retrospectively. I had seen it, but for Royal Rumble was the sun like the day after my birthday. Um, so I think it was 13, 13 or fourteen or something, and it was the first time I'd seen anything like that, and it was just. Horrible, and then it was a hell in a cell at the next pay per view. See, see, two thousand. See for consecutive pay per views. Two thousand must have been the best year. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, it definitely was my favorite year. And and call me crazy, this is going to be controversial, but it's no secret to me. Two thousand was their best year, and Austin was hurt most of it, but Triple H was the leader. Hmm. Think about it. I'm just saying, I'm Austin is tremendous. Austin's one of the best ever, but there was no Austin in 2000. It was all it was all Hunter and The Rock. But Austin's 2001 was sensational. Yeah, but 2001 is also he was great. 2001 is hampered because of the WCW merger. I was I was a fan of that, but um, oh, I was too. But in hindsight, it don't it doesn't hold up very well. I would probably like to revisit it. Maybe in its entirety, but there's so much stuff to watch. Maybe not. <laughs> it, you know what? That, but that actually, one day, if if you do it on your show or I do it on my show, we come together and do a super show. That would be a real cool thing to kind of revisit the invasion and mm-hmm. the year or so of WCW, because we all we we all have kind of criticized them enough about uh, letting like. Goldberg and Hogan and Nash and Hall kind of just write out their Time Warner contracts, but the 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 the, the DDP the guys they had they could have treated better. Like DDP did not have to come over as a stalker, no, you know. And while it's great, tele- it was great television having having Booker T and uh, and. Austin fight in churches and in grocery stores was great TV, but didn't make Booker seem to be the most tough guy in the world. Yeah, I think over time, 
Well, wasn't there something... This supermarket thing happened after the Vengeance 2001 match, is that right? Because Booker yeah. T threw Austin onto the commentary table and Austin was injured as a result. And apparently Booker T was asked asked nicely to go and sort of visit Austin in hospital or something to that effect, and he didn't want to. So do you think maybe that was a punishment, a glorified um, burial in Isle 5? Well, <laughs> so so I, I don't remember, I didn't remember hearing that part. So yes, hearing that, I, it probably was a punishment. But another thing you also want to think about too was, uh, and that's a big part of it, I'm sure. But also, I'm sure Booker T had heat coming in anyway. Because if you watched late 2000 and 2001, Booker T, he straight up copied everything about The Rock. Like blatantly copied everything. He started calling himself The Book. Yeah. And he started wearing glasses and and, 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 and shiny suits. And his finishing move moved from the axe kick to the bookend, which was basically The Rock Bottom. Uh-huh. Like he, So I'm sure he had some heat coming in with that too. Yeah, probably. The see where we're talking about two thousand one and Austin's fire year and Triple H's year before that. Two thousand one No Way Out had a three stages of hell match. Ooh, 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 yes. That was frightening television. Well, anytime those these two guys, Austin and Triple H hated each other so much that think about their think about their story of, <laughs> of when they were feuding. They hated each other so much that Triple H hired a guy to run him over, and Austin threw him in a threw him in a bathroom with the light off with a rattlesnake. Like that's how much those two guys hated each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was one of those ones where such a violent gimmick stipulation was required because that had been. I mean, kayfabe Triple H tried to kill Austin. Yeah, well, actually, Austin tried to kill him back. A venomous rattlesnake in the dark, and also the when he had the forklift truck and Triple H was in the car and they lifted him up. That was at Survivor Series two thousand. Yeah, they those two. So we're laughing at the stuff Braun is doing to people. Like these guys were really trying to kill each other back uh-huh. in the day. See, that's the thing. There's people that are complaining about the segments that we're getting with Braun Strowman. People, all this toilet humor was prominent in the Attitude Era. But apparently the attitude era was the best. Look, so I'm I'm not I I'm just throwing that so, out there. You're right. And I'm a child of the attitude era, right? I started watching in ninety five, ninety six, probably really strong in ninety six. Um, so I'm a child of it, right? I was my fandom grew during the attitude era, so I love it. But I'm also aware that it wasn't it is if you think about it. And really, like, think about it analytically from the things we want now to the things that they had back then. We look back on it so fondly, but it really wasn't as good as we remember it to be. It just had a lot of fun moments. But the bronze stuff, man, here's my issue with that. It's fun. It is different. It is unique to him. But he's going to run out of stuff to do eventually. And all of it is to mask the fact that he can't go in the ring 20 minutes and wrestle a classic. He's not there yet. And that's fine. Uh, he might not ever need to be there. I don't know if I agree with that because he had a couple of good matches with Finn Balor. But that's not Finn the Balor's one of the best in the world, though. Come on, class. 
Yeah. It's the same argument people had about the same argument people had about Roman. People said when Roman's matches with AJ were great. Well, because AJ's the best in the world. Well, Braun had good matches with Roman Reigns last year. Roman's one of the best in the world now. I'm just saying, <laughs> right? Oh, don't say that. We'll get taken off here. Oh, sorry. So, my bad. My bad. I apologize. The thoughts of the 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 ideals of Rance Morris are not <laughs> are are not uh, verified by the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show. That's why the opening theme tune has listener discretion is advised. <laughs> um, I, I'm not saying he's bad. I don't, I'm not saying Braun is a bad wrestler. I'm saying he is not. We're, this, we're we're judging on a different scale now, man. We're judging on a seven star scale now, right? We're judging on a scale where work people we don't even know what the word work rate really means but yet we're judging on what we think work rate means Braun ain't that guy i'm not saying Braun can't wrestle good matches Braun just isn't gonna wrestle the type of matches that fans swear they want i just have the impression that since survivor series 2016 that Braun Strowman has improved maybe not weekly but exponentially he has become yep. overall a very good wrestler. Maybe not the most impactful finishing move for a guy of his size with a running power slam, but he's got enough in his offense to keep me entertained. Um, I mean, he's had Matt, Matt grapples with the Big Show. That was his most impressive stuff. Was his good matches with with Show? And by the way, I don't mind the running power slam because Bridge Bulldog had it, and Bridge Bulldog was uh-huh. a superstar. So it's been established if you've been watching wrestling for 20 plus years that mm-hmm. it's a real finisher. And if you've got someone who's 380 pounds landing on top of you. Running in a full circle before he slams you? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's fair enough. So I think the fact that it's, insta- it's not all these carnage matches anymore. He's had a few matches with Finn Balor. He's going into a program with Kevin Owens who has that quote unquote work rate. I'm sure that when they actually have a match, like officially, finally have a normal match, that, that will be good. I think maybe Braun Strowman, they've, they've done the test where he's the the ultimate sort of family-friendly baby face. Now they're doing the test to see if he can work to an acceptable level. Mm-hmm. So Kevin Owens is first. Maybe someone else will be next. Could be Lashley, I don't know. So And he's also got the briefcase. He's, he's the Saudi Arabian champion. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So people yeah, moan, is, yeah. people are moaning about Brock Lesnar not defending the Universal Championship. Braun Strowman hasn't even defended the Saudi Arabian title yet. Shocking behavior. I'm, look, between Pete Dunne and Braun Strowman, y'all worried about the wrong person. How do you mean? Oh, because Pete, you know, you've seen the, the, the infographics of... Uh, what Brock has defended it what like 10 times or what was it or how many times it yeah, was something like that yeah well Pete Dunne's defended it less on, on television technically well on television it's taken it round the indies quite a lot yeah but I mean you I know, know the, the, the infographics are, are screwed to begin with anyway I'll defend Pete Dunne to my dying day anyway oh I will too Pete Dunne Pete I think both of you have both of us have said mm-hmm. that Pete Dunne truly had there's not a lot of guys you can envision in wrestling, realistically, not from your fandom, not from what you personally want, but just realistically saying this guy is over enough, talented enough, 
and interesting enough to close out a WrestleMania. There's not a lot of guys out there. Realistically, mm-hmm. I think Pete Dunne has that kind of potential five, ten years down the road. He's that good. I really do hope so. We've not seen him in any hardcore matches of late uh, at all, as far as I'm aware, in WWE anyway. I don't think he'd need them, but I'm trying to I'm trying to do some sort of smart segue here, and it's not happening. So, <laughs> it's smart to me, Clive. It's smart to me. Thank you. So basically, Pete Dunne will be the head, the sort of figurehead of the upcoming Fringe show NXT UK, a Fringe show which kind of birthed the Extreme Rules in a weird roundabout way is ECWCW, which, by the way, that acronym does not make much sense. Does it? Extreme Championship Wrestling World Entertainment. Extreme Championship World Wrestling Entertainment. How about that? It just doesn't... They should have just called it ECW. Well, that's what they did call ECW. We call it WWECW or ECW... We call it that because it's not really ECW. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Did you watch much of that? I'll hold my hand up. I didn't. Just when it was pay-per-view matches. I watched all of it. Did you? Yeah. And how? I enjoyed it because... Go ahead. I I was just going to say, what did you think of it? What 205 Live and NXT originally were, not the game show, but like the reboot. Mm Mm-hmm is what that was. It was a straight hour of nobody's watching, so go out there and tell good stories. And the end of it, where, like, without the end of it, you have so many guys, like, so many guys that debuted on the show that, you know, Jack Swagger started on ECW. Sheamus started on ECW. Kofi Kingston started on ECW. Like, a lot of guys, they had what was called a, CM Punk started on ECW, yes. They had what was called a new talent initiative, where, where like a lot of guys were given their first taste in front of a live crowd with ECW. Um, so it's, 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 this is, this is a, I'm going around the world to make this tangent, but remember, uh, NXT war games. Mm -hmm. If you remember that match, I was there by the way, that match was tremendous, but people were down on it because it wasn't their quote unquote traditional war games. Right. So had you changed the name for some people, it would have been a tremendous match. That name, the connotation couldn't allow them to enjoy it. It's the it's the same thing with ECW in WWE. Had they not called it ECW, people would have loved the show. Mm-hmm. But because it was called ECW, they expected it to be a certain something. And it wasn't that. See, I have seen before the NXT War Games only a handful of the actual War Games matches. One of them was horrendous. If I remember, it was like NWO were involved and the Ultimate Warrior was threatening to come down and there was a bit where the the ring, the two rings just filled with smoke and there was this guy pretending to be Warrior who was like a, an apparition of him. I thought, oh, this is bad stuff. The other one was quite decent. I think the Four Horsemen were involved when Benoit was in the Four Horsemen. Oh, so you watched the last two? Just the last two then, I <laughs> So, um, funny fact about that War Games with Warrior in it. So the funny thing about that was that card is the card that caused British, British, British Bulldog to die. 
So the, you, you, were, you were talking about the spot where uh, the lights went out, then Warrior popped up. Some guy pretended to be Warrior popped up in the ring. Lights go back out, then Warrior comes from the back, right? Well, Warrior was super adamant about having that spot. So he had to have a trap door put into the ring. Earlier that night, British Bulldog and Jim Neidhart wrestled. I don't remember who they wrestled. It wasn't important. But one of the guys slammed Bulldog on the trap door, and that hurt that hurt his back. Okay. So because of that, he went to the, he had to go to the hospital and get morphine in him, and he became addicted to morphine, which led to his death. So had Warrior not wanted that damn trap door, maybe we still have Bulldog. And isn't it ironic that I've nearly broke into song there again, guys? Uh, <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Don't you think <laughs> that um, Tom Billington, Dynamite Kid, blames um, British Bulldog for his back injuries, which caused him to spiral even further down the road to drug addiction and whatnot as well? Talk about two sad stories, man. God, um, both of them. Um, yeah, God, two, two terribly sad stories. Okay. So let's, 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 but talking about the war games real quick, uh, it yes. kind of falls in the line, right? Uh huh. I, I would say anything that's gimmick and has weapons involved, it's up for, dis- I mean, we've had discussions about Roman Reigns tonight, so anything's, anything's game. <laughs> Me and you just kind of, to use a term I used on, an, on another show I used to be on, we kind of go down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, the thing with war games was the older ones were great because they were so brutal but it's one of those things that like a lot of older stuff it doesn't hold up at least not to the a level of the stuff now so like whereas the war games match we had last year last year was it uh-huh. last year yeah uh that match was brutal for 2017 but back then like in eighty nine ninety, you'd like the old like the old matches, four horsemen versus uh stings, whatever you call them, whatever. Or dusty skies or whatever the like everybody was bloody. Like the the match you were talking about, it was NWO versus the Four Horsemen, where it was uh Monk because remember if you remember, uh the four horsemen in WCW at the end was Flair, Mongo McMichael, Benoit and Arn, who got hurt and gave his spot to Kurt Hennig. Mm, yes, that's right. Well, that was the that was the match where Kurt Hennig turned on him and uh-huh. threatened to slam Flair's head with the door if they didn't quit. And Mongo finally quit, and he slammed that bitch anyway. That's right. And my God, I like I I I still see that in my head. I can still hear like, hear it. Oh, oh God. Ah oh, God, that's the that's the that's the flare. Ah oh, God, that's right. That was um, I can't remember if it was the second or third Money in the Bank match at WrestleMania where Matt Hardy superplexed him off the top of the ladder and flared. Oh wow, that was some sale job. Yeah, yeah, that that and it it's it's so it's so good to any to the point where like anytime my back hurts and I get up, I'm ah oh, God. Ah, <laughs> Woo! <laughs> uh, but yeah, that so so 
but the, the war game, a lot of the war games were good. It's just we happened to fall into time where they weren't great. So we've talked quite a bit about WWE's hardcore stuff, and I will touch on a few other things soon. How would you think, especially in the the Nitro era, how did WCW do with their hardcore gimmick matches? Were you a fan of them? Because I know you watched WCW. They were fun for this one reason. They truly knew it was bullshit. Like, they just, they didn't even treat it as serious. Right. They just completely said, y'all go out there and just have, like, just, and just do whatever. Norman Smiley was the champion, right? That was their, that was their match for Crash Holly. Yeah. Norman Smiley was, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, Norman Smiley would have fit in well in the 24-7 hardcore title rules. I can't believe we've made it this far and we've not mentioned that. See if this, if Ricky was on this. He would have said it before the in- the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> that that was some fun stuff. Well, let me let me say this real quick and we'll move on uh, to that. Yeah. Um, when they really started taking the, the the hardcore championship seriously, quote unquote, uh, was when the cat was the uh, general manager and he changed all the rules for every match. So what he he made every hardcore match start in the back and have to make his way to the ring. And that's when Smiley was like really, really like the king of the hardcore division. And so he would come in, he would always have like a <laughs> football helmet uh-huh. and like football pads and like lacrosse pads. And they called him Screaming Norman Smiley because he was always screaming, running for everybody. And it was just, it was. Let me. This is this is how this is how serious they took hardcore mm-hmm. wrestling. When Sandman signed with WCW, his name was Hack. You know, and you you know what the term hack is, right? Uh, someone who does brutal tackles in sports. No, no I'm not. This, no. It means something else over here. Uh, a hack is like, oh man, he's you. You don't know what he's doing. He's he's nothing. He's trash. He's garbage. Ah, right, yeah. he, he's not good at his job. So, but his name was the hardcore hack. Oh, <laughs> they didn't care at all. They they did not care, so yeah. It I was also, fun though. But didn't also Terry Funk nearly lose an arm when a horse nearly kicked him in a stable? God, the matches, and, or then, or what about the bunkhouse brawl that uh, Finley almost got blown up? Because oh. <laughs> just just the stuff that they did didn't make no sense, man. Uh, or. I don't know if this was a hardcore title match or just a hardcore match, but remember Johnny the Bull Stamboli? Not off the top of my head, no. He was part of the Mamelukes with Big Vito, and he was super, super. If you watch TNA, his he was Relic. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh huh. Oh, okay. You, okay, you do remember? I remember so the name Relic. So he was really physically talented in terms of. He, like, could jump and had a lot of, was really, like, you know, athletic. This fool wanted to do a springboard off the top rope from the from in the ring, springboard off the top rope to uh, a, a leg drop to somebody on the floor. And people were like, that's stupid. Don't do that. He did it anyway and broke his tailbone. <laughs> Just the, the things, like, yeah. That's, I don't even know, bro. <laughs> Speaking of broken tailbones, I think this is the right match. 
And this is another one where listeners might be thinking, why hasn't this been mentioned yet? Kurt Angle and Shane McMahon, King of the Ring 2001. So you you know why it's crazy we haven't talked about that match yet? Why? That's my favorite match of all time. I thought I thought your favorite match was Angle and HBK. No, that's the best match to me of all time. All oh, right, in terms of quality, right? Yeah. But my favorite match in terms of what uh in terms of everything, I just my favorite match ever. I can rewatch it as many times. I never get tired of watching it. I'm fascinated by everything. I I can tell you every spot in the match from not like from the beginning to the end. That match was tremendous. It was stunning. It was, there was a shock value, obviously, with the um, Kurt attempting the belly to belly suplexes through the panes of glass, which didn't break at times. And it just got messy and messier and messier. And that sort of five, seven minute spell when they were at the panes of glass was just jaw on the floor stuff. They kept doing it over and over again. Shane must have been out. He must have been out cold. For real. Well, have you. So, you, so, you, so can I tell you some backstory about that? Mm hmm. Number one, the reason that the glass didn't break was because it was real glass, it was supposed to be sugar glass. But somebody thought, somebody forgot that they were supposed to go through it, and they thought that if it was sugar glass, when the power went off, it would it would shatter. So they put real glass in the thing. <laughs> and, sake. yeah. Yeah, so that. And number two, the reason that uh, they kept trying to put him through the glass, Kurt was like, stop. And the entire time, Shane was like, you can't put me through? What's wrong with you? Are you? Are, are you a punk? Like Shane was talking shit to Kurt was he? to get him to throw him through. That's why finally when Kurt said just throws him through face first, <laughs> like like Shane pissed him off. <laughs> finally, yeah, man, it's it's the 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 story behind that match is great. Yes, like I, they have a they have a remember the old show Confidential. Uh, they have a full on story of them two sitting and talking about that match. Um, and they talk about how Vince almost came out and stopped it because he was like so terrified. Mm-hmm. Like Vince was gonna literally just say, "Forget wrestling, forget that this is scripted. This match is being stopped." Uh-huh. And uh, man, but yeah, it was tremendous, man. Oh, it was excellent. As you have said, I could watch that over and over again. It's it is one of those ones as well where I think there is a story that was a quite that helps helps the match I think there was a nod to it in that no DQ match between Ali and Murphy with the Olympic Slam when it was a sort of some sort of platform board that was propped up onto the ropes uh, that's what the superplex off the steel steps last night reminded me of as well so I thought that was a Absolutely. nice nod Ab- and then Kurt Angle's a monster because you know Kurt Angle wrestled two matches earlier that night right Yep, that was his version of Bret Hart and King of the Ring 93. Obviously, he got put out of the King of the Ring due to help from Shane, Edge, and all that stuff. But that was what a night that was for Kurt Angle. Fantastic. And that was just. So. That was sorry. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just want to say that was just after his world title run. Um, And then he had a program with Benoit. 
And then in, after that, it was Shane McMahon. And then after that, he was back in title contention. What a 2001 Kurt Angle had as well. Oh, man. that <laughs> Kurt Angle became a superstar in like, like three months and then became like a Hall of Famer in a year. Mm. Like that's unheard of. Those are the reasons uh, they're obviously later that... on. Sorry, on you go, on you go. No, 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 I'm sorry. Those, obviously there are some classic matches later on in his career, but those first couple of years, and bear in mind in 2000, I kayfabe hated Kurt Angle, but by the end of 2001, this guy was an absolute hero, and he remained my favourite for a long time after that. I still remember him winning the WWF, quote-unquote, title, in Pittsburgh over Stone Cold and then putting him over, putting him on the shoulders and stuff and his family coming in the ring. Uh-huh. Like, that was one of the... Because remember, Kurt had been healed for most of the build-up to that match until, like, right before that match started. Because that, uh, that was all around the invasion so angle. Good. That was all around the invasion angle as well. Yes, it was. Because Kurt went right back to heel again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man, God, Kurt was tremendous. Um, what I was gonna say was, uh, since we're in 2001, we might as well go ahead and uh, hit the 24 seven rule real quick. Yes. Go ahead, man. This is hey. All right, look, Ricky would be mad at you, not me. That's true. I thought you just. I thought you were going to go off there. Not go off. <laughs> I mean, go on about it. <laughs> uh, well, let me tell you about the twenty-four-seven rule, brother. No, it was, I loved it. It was, it was, it was great television. Uh-huh. You know, there's a place for comedy in wrestling, right? There's always a place for it. Um, I think when, when wrestling was at its best, in terms of most enjoyable, there was all there was something for every portion of the card. Uh-huh. And it still is now, but it was really defined back then. So, you know, you had these really, really serious and heavy major stories, and you had these really interesting mid-card stories, and you had you guys who just want to go out there and work and show how great they were in the ring. And then you had Crash Holly and Steve Blackman and Big Boss Man and Hardcore Holly and all these guys who were just out there willing each other yeah. for fun. And, and the headbangers chasing Crash Holly too. Uh, amusement park and <laughs> you know and 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 referees pinning guys while they're asleep and oh that was that's probably there. there were two pinfalls that were absolute genius in that 24 7 time zone was when gerald briscoe pinned a sleeping heart uh, crash holly in the changing rooms and when molly holly was the champion at wrestlemania 18 for a very short spell before she ran, and see those sort of half and half doors you get, the barn doors that cut in half? Christian slammed it into her face and won the hardcore title, and then he ran away. <laughs> and then he was packing his bags, and Maven came and attacked him and won the hardcore title. But then Maven drove away in Christian's car. <laughs> <laughs> and as you remember, WrestleMania 18 was when... Uh that was when Christian was uh, was still doing the, the crybaby gimmick. Mm-hmm. And he had lost to DDP earlier that night. That's right. And, and threw the fit. And so he was like, I got him. I got a title. And <laughs> he's still in the losing. It's, not, it's the Good fact stuff, that, man. Uh, that Maven stole his car. That's 
See, that's seeing a serious note. The hardcore twenty four seven was really good because it helped um, sort of flesh out the filler, quote unquote, filler portions of the show, as well as the pay per views. Um, it gave a lot of wrestlers further down the totem pole some TV time, some air time, and I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm going to advocate this, but and I can't remember if I've actually mentioned it on this show before. I wouldn't have a problem if they brought the hardcore title back in 24-7 rule format because what have you got now that you didn't have back then? A network. A network. Social media as well. Oh, yeah. Because over the last few months, winter and spring there, ICW had a programme going on between a Chris Renfrew and Joe Henry where it was a false Count Anywhere match which started at an ICW taping uh, the tail end of February when we had our bad snowstorm and the match finally ended at the end of April at their big pay-per-view but they had social media um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook of Chris Renfrew basically chasing around Joe Henry all over Scotland wherever they were doing tapings and the, <laughs> on YouTube these I wouldn't say viral but these videos were very popular so see if they had something like that where say for instance I don't know, Apollo Crews is a champion and he's taking a selfie video as he's going to the airport. I know we're going to use the airport, but then someone like Bo Dallas comes and attacks him from behind and it's all caught on camera. Very little production required. All you need is a ref and you've got you've got content to put on YouTube, um, Twitter, Instagram and it keeps people engaged and it could end up leading to... <coughs> the hardcore title being as over as it was again in 2000, 2001 time. So there's already a lot of stuff going on in the main roster product at the the moment but do you think that would be a good idea? A use of social media for the 24-7 rule? The use of social media, absolutely. The only fear would be that hardcore isn't quite hardcore anymore. That's true. Um, But that could be offset by the uh, not only but the ease of it, like you said, with the selfie cams and stuff like that, and the, you know with YouTube and social social media, but I feel like you can be a lot more creative now. Yes, like the like the selfie thing. Like just imagine Tyler Breeze doing get, being champ and taking a selfie video and getting rolled up with the camera in his hand. Like it, <laughs> and it's all captured. It could be pretty. Yes, like you could be like super. Or somebody that a concert, like it, you can really be a lot more creative than I think you could in '99 and 2000. Or say, for instance, you have an episode of Ride Along where the hardcore champ, or let's just say, for instance, it's called the 24/7 title, where the hardcore, the 24/7 champion is in the passenger seat with his tag partner or something like that, who's driving. The passenger falls asleep. All you need to do is escape a referee. <laughs> And just pin them where Skype a referee. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dial a ref. And it's just a wee sort of hologram of uh, El Hebner. <laughs> I can see John coming on, 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 on the on the phone call clapping. One, uh-huh. two. Oh, no, kick out. <laughs> and the, and the can cat. you see like the New Day like riding together and Coffee Falls asleep but mm-hmm. he's a champ so they pull over and Woods pins him. I know, that would be excellent. I do, I yeah. wish there were less 
comedy comedy angles with the New Day, but I think they would thrive under some sort of twenty four seven title rules. Oh my God, yes, they, like that would probably who you want who you'd want to build that division around. But most importantly, I, I think what you said is very very is most important with it. it makes the most sense is that whether it would work or not it would give a lot of these guys who don't have anything to do on a regular basis something to do mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's the key and it would inject a lot of fun into the main roster which I think there's quite a quite a vocal fan base now that are wavering I would say but fun ain't the problem man because there's a lot of fun there is, there <laughs> on, is. The main, on the main roster the problem is nothing is serious uh, that's a good point actually I still Smackdown's think... a lot more serious than Raw, but yeah. Well, is it though when you've got pancake eating contests? Yeah, but that's like one portion of, of mm. it. Like everything with Joe is serious. The Miz is fairly serious. Until Brian teamed up with, with Kane, he's fairly serious. The Bludgeon Brothers are very, fairly serious. AJ Styles is serious. Ruth's Aiden English isn't serious, but Rusev is serious. Like most of the people on that show are serious. Rusev has become serious. I think Rusev's always been serious. It's just he's a bit narcissistic and enjoys people singing his name. Uh, I think it's still going to take a bit of time for me to be sold on Rusev. As champ or as Rusev? That's right, you are a Rusev hater. It's a good point. Uh, just as a main eventer in general. So here's the thing about that. Talent-wise, he, he, he has it. Talent-wise, he's very talented. He has... Rusev has this innate ability to make you care about him, right? Uh-huh. The problem is, I think with Rusev, is I don't like the reason he's in the main event. Because I think Rusev Day is dumb as hell. Oh, thank you. Someone else, finally. I don't know. It's, I think most of us acknowledge that it's stupid, but it's over and it's hot. Which is the reason why he, why why he's getting the push because the merch is selling and he's getting the crowd response. I, I'm sure you saw SmackDown uh, Tuesday night, but when AJ came out for his promo, AJ Styles real self day. Like when you get a fifty fifty champ with AJ Styles, you're doing something. Uh huh. Um. So, but I but the the very point of Rusev Day of Hey, I'm so good. I have my own day. What day is today? Is dumb as hell. And most of us, I think most of us can acknowledge that, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's over for whatever reason. And like I told you, I told you this before. In fact, on this show, we he owes Aiden English a huge debt because oh, yes. Aiden is the ring reasons over. Yes, I fully agree. Uh, oh, totally forgot what I was going to say there. And it was a pertinent point about Rusev, but it's gone. Yeah, I yes, I remember. I am a hypocrite because there are many wrestlers over the years who have got silly chants over or silly catchphrases who I've been a big mark for. Ty Dillinger being one of them. Fuck, man, the yes chant is dumb as hell. I know when you think about it, it's pointing your hands in the air and saying yes. What does that really mean? Yeah, and then go back to the reason he started doing it. 
this is that's what's funny to me about a lot of these things. People forget why people do stuff because mm-hmm. it just becomes not like second nature. But the reason he started doing it was because he was so obnoxious when he was a heel, and when he beat somebody, he would act like he won the World Series or the World Cup. Uh-huh. And, and it, you know what I mean? And it was just completely obnoxious. And it just turned into something that became huge. Yeah. And this whole Rusev Day thing happened because it was a smackdown of the Christmas week. And Rusev's birthday is Christmas Day or Boxing Day, one of the two. So that's why I said it was Rusev Day. And then it just took off from there. Just took off. I, But it, but look, man, for, this dude is like top five in the company of merch now. Right. That's that's definitely that says something. Maybe I'll change my mind eventually. <laughs> Just not quite yet. So, unless there's anything else you want to cover, I mean, the genre of hardcore wrestling. There's a lot there to talk about, but I've not got anything else to add right this second. Hardcore wrestling is such a, a a weird topic to talk about because we're only talking about WWE. If we were to talk about ECW or some of the other smaller companies now like Combat Zone or IWA Mid-South or even some of the older deathmatch fans in Japan, then we'd be here all day. But if we're just talking about WWE, I think we've covered it pretty well. Uh-huh. Well... Maybe we could do a ECW retrospective at some point. I do like the idea of covering the invasion angle because that is quite ECW centric. So we can do that, but we'll call it. A, we'll come to a, a close soon. But we will end as as tradition with a nice wee quiz for you. So please allow me to splice in some music right now, unless you would like a. No, I can't because I can't give you a live rendition because my wife's in the room and there are swearing, and I don't want her to hear me swear. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just waving just now. Hi there. Um, right. <laughs> so here we go. Hi, Mrs. Clive. <laughs> it's fucking quiz time with Ricky and Clive and friends. A fucking WWE quiz. Okay, so I asked to come on tonight and I offered if you would like to do a quiz so it's Rance's turn to give me a quiz tonight I'm quite excited and apprehensive because the last time that Rance quizzed me it was on Outsider's Edge and I was destroyed humiliated, buried well so the first time I came on Ricky and Clive the quiz was so ridiculous that I was like okay this is what I have to do to them every time I have the chance to do this. So, of course, it's hardcore themed since that's our theme of the show, Extreme Rules and whatnot. And I left it just WWE. I I was I didn't want to be mean. I don't think it's that hard, but I didn't think the last one was that hard. Aye. Uh, but I am big on history, so uh, I have eight questions for you. Shouldn't I don't think they're that difficult, but uh, yeah. Let's give it a try, all right? You ready? Yes. Well, no, but yes. <laughs> all right. Question number one. We just talked about this tonight. WrestleMania 18. That was the twenty. That was the only WrestleMania where the 24-7 rule was in effect. Mm-hmm. 
Name everybody who won the hardcore championship that night. Oh and my. I will give you, and, and oh. Maven started his hardcore champ. Maven started? It's not as bad as you think. Right, so Maven started and he finished, I believe. It, it was a hardcore title match between Maven and Goldust. Goldust did not win, but that was the match. And it just ended up going throughout the whole night. Right, so Maven, twice, I believe, technically. Yes. Christian? Yes. Molly Holly? Yes. Hurricane Helms? Yes, and only one more person. You got it. Only one more person. I'm going to just have a random guess at DD. No. Raven. Was Raven there at no. the time? No. Big Show? Was that Raven? No. Okay, that's last year's. That was the other WrestleMania where they had to the absolutely classic triple threat Raven, Big Show, and Kane. <laughs> Yes, Eight. but Raven almost killed the show because he I know. He, he almost unplugged the show. <laughs> yes, but no, it wasn't those guys. Think of the lower, think at the bottom of the card. The bottom of the card in 2002. Okay. Sean Stasiak? <laughs> Damn, you went to the bottom of the bottom. No, not Sean Stasiak. Uh, I've not, I'm not sure. He was the former ECW uh, alumni. No offense to him, but Tommy Dreamer? No. Rhino? No. Oh, eh. Uh, <laughs> Mike Awesome? <laughs> he wasn't there yet. Uh, okay, let me give you one more hint. He has brothers that are that are also on the card. Oh, Spike. Spike Dudley, there you go. Yes. Good job. See, it wasn't that hard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Question number two. We are, this was a retrospective of the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, right? Yes. What was the first main event of the first WWE Extreme Rules pay-per-view? 2009. It would be too much of a giveaway if you told me the match belt. The the, No, the title that was on the line. Right, so it would be too much of a giveaway. Yes, it would. I know that it was Sheamus and Triple H in a street fight of sorts, but I can't remember. It wasn't the main event. It wasn't. Right. No. So, in my main event, of course, I mean traditional main event, last match of the card. Yeah. Two thousand and nine. Oh, of course, it was Edge and CM. No, Edge and Jeff Hardy in a ladder match. Yes, and CM Punk cashed in yes. after Jeff Hardy won. See, this isn't that hard. It's hey. not. You just, if you know your history. That, that's, most time my quizzes are like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's continue more history. What was the main event of the first ECW One Night Stand pay-per-view? Uh, there's one person. There who, were two. Yeah, the first one. There's one name, I can't remember who his partner was. So it was the Dudleys versus Tommy Dreamer and... No clue. The heart of ECW. <sighs> Imagine the crowd in your mind. Uh huh. Hammerstein. Right, and think about the crowd. What wrestler? What wrestler is more involved with the crowd than any other wrestler? Well, 
It can't be RVD because he was injured at the time. And RVD still did something that night. He's <laughs> a monster. Oh, but yeah. no, it's not RVD. The heart of ECW. What, what wrestler is in, it interacts with the crowd more than any other wrestler in ECW? I don't know. <laughs> He's a former three-time ECW champion. Um, if I if I give you a oh, hint, it'll give it away. Sandman. A Sandman. There I, you go. I remember now because they had the came through the crowds, Metallica music. Yep. They even yeah they sprung for the Metallica music that night. Ah, uh, Sandman music. Uh-huh. Um. Okay, and one more, one more history question, and then we got some more stuff. Okay, right. they're all history, but one more main event. What was the main event of the very first WWE One Night Stand pay per view? There were two of those. It was two ECW ones, two WWE ones, and then it became Extreme Rules. What was the first of first WWE One Night Stand pay per view main event? So that was two thousand and seven. Two thousand and seven. Yes. Ah, damnation. Because I know in 2008 it was a TLC match between Undertaker and Edge. That's very correct, yes. Which was amazing. But that's not the question. 2007, one night stand. I'm going to stab in the dark and say it was some sort of brutality match between Undertaker and Batista? No, sir. Good try. Okay, I pass. Okay. So uh, it was for the WWE Championship. So go ahead and take a guess there. Oh, 2007, springtime. Cena and Orton? Cena's one of the guys. He was the champ, but not Orton. Umaga? Not Umaga. Umaga only got the title shot at a Royal Rumble. I'm thinking he never had another one. Which is a shame. Um, Very big shame. Oh my god, I'm showing my. You'll you'll never guess. I'm telling you. I like. I might as well give it away. Like you'll never. Okay. Like this is the most random guy. Great Kali. The great Kali is who it was. <laughs> you want to venture take a guess of what the match was? Uh, oh, if only we got to see Cena in a Punjabi prison match. That would be hilarious because he's so awkward. Oh, was it a submission match? God no! What <laughs> submission can he do? Um, <laughs> oh, the the head thing, uh-huh. yeah, the vice. He, yeah. he was the third head shrinker. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. It, it it was it was a it was a match where the only way you could win is by pinfall. I can't remember. Falls count anywhere. Just, all right, okay, right. Because this is that's the match where uh, he uh, fu'd him off the ch- off the car or something like that. Oh my god! Yeah. Okay. So so far, you've done really well. Doesn't feel like it. <laughs> I'm getting. Well, that's the point of a test. I'm getting decimal points right, so that counts for something. Okay, so here's the easy one. 
<laughs> it's easy, I'm telling you. Who was the last hardcore champion? Oh, right, so you're talking 2002. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. <laughs> And it was, it was Tommy, Dream, these, Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer was the last champion going into this match, but he lost it to a guy ah, in right, the in yes. unification match. RVD. Rob Van Depp. Look at, see, this was that hard. Do you remember a ladder match between RVD and Christian on a Raw for the IC title? I think it, September 2003. Try and find it. What a, what a cracker of a match that was. RVD and Christian. I'm going to look that up. 2001. Three. 2003. Okay. In September time. Excellent, excellent stuff. Was Christian still wearing the mesh top? Or did he have the shirt off by then? I think he had the shirt off and the haircut at that time. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. My last three questions all have to do with the hardcore title. Right. I'll just phone Ricky just now then. <laughs> Because he would know this. I know. Um, okay. Who held the hardcore title for the longest reign, like the most amount of days? Steve, Stephen Blackman. He had the most combined length, yes, of, of, of all titles. So that's correct. Next question is who held the hardcore title for the longest reign, just one reign in, one reign in general, like one particular reign? Was it Mankind? No. Are you, sure, are you sure it wasn't Steve Blackman again? Or is this a trick question answer? No, it's not a, not, a, not your question. Steve Blackman held it held it for four t- held it four times, and had it combined the longest length. But one guy had it for the longest reign. Is it Raven? No. Crash. No. All right. I'll, I'll even take the amount of days he held it. He held it for ninety-seven days. Jesus. Was this during the 24-7 rule? I don't think so. Aye. So you're talking 99-ish? At the beginnings of it, probably, yeah. Oh, no clue. Pass. The, The big boss man. Oh my God almighty. So basically, you're only going to get one wrong because the last one is the easiest of all of them. Who held it the most? Who held it the most times? Crash Holly. No. Raven. Raven, yes. Raven held the Hardcore Championship 27 times. Isn't isn't the the history books basically that Crash Holly is the most decorated superstar of all time? Is that what it is because of the amount of tag t- tag matches like heavyweight? Even though he was billed at four hundred pounds, <laughs> at well over four hundred pounds, actually. Um, <laughs> no, I think Edge has passed him. I think Edge has finally passed him. I thought it was Crash had like forty six or something. <laughs> well, tw- well, he has twenty two reigns, but God, how- what other titles did he win? That's true. I know he he has one tag. I think he has at least one tag title reign. I think he won the Cruiser title once, but Edge got what eight tag title reigns. Oh. Uh, was it 11 world title reigns? Uh, yeah. In the U- 
I think it was a only with Asian Christian. So you you you're you saying like like Edge Edge is like don't let anybody ever tell you that that Vince didn't love Edge because God oh. Edge has thirty one titles overall. He has he is a eleven time world champ, a five time IC champ, a former US champ once, and uh, a fourteen time tag team champ. What a what a guy Adam Copeland is. Adam freaking Copeland. Adam Copeland, baby. Baby. <laughs> oh man. Hey, look, we the we the black delegation will always consider Adam Cole one of us because he's a Jenkins. Just telling you. <laughs> I, I thought you said drinkies there, as in Velma from Scooby Doo. Jinkies. Hey, Velma might be black too. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Let me stop. So that's the quiz. Yeah. Hey, you did great. Thank you. It did yeah. not bad. Uh, but if it was Ricky, he would have just given you quick answers and there wouldn't have been so much dead air as there has been in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. The next time I give a quiz, I promise you, it'll be a little tougher because that was too easy for you. As you say, as though it's not tough. It's only tough if you don't know the answer and you just have to rack through the brains listen to all the historical podcasts, watch the network, and you'll know the answers. <laughs> all you got to do is be a genius. That's it. Mm-hmm. No you've, big deal. You've just got to be a mark, the mark, king of marks, basically. Oh, well, that's, that is definitely us. <laughs> so that concludes our roundabout way of talking about hardcore wrestling and WWE. We had some tangents in there. Uh, we are what... Oh my god, oh for fuck's sake there's going to be one time when I do this plug properly and tonight is not the night <laughs> It's a gimmick now, you got to mess it up every time right. It's a gimmick I'll start again <laughs> Three, two, one. <laughs> Three, two, one. We are at Ricky and Clive on Twitter and Facebook, we're also on Instagram if you fancy following my movie night series with the wife, uh, Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show we're on socialsuplex.com where you can get access to the podcasts and the columns that we do there. You can also subscribe on the socialsuplex.com website for to get all your po- podcasts and columns into your email inbox. I'm doing okay so far. Uh, on the actual podcast network, we've got ourselves, we've got Grown Men Watch This Shit, who I believe have got quite the guests lined up. I don't want to promise too much in case it doesn't f- come through, but keep your eyes ears Jesus (laughs) you're doing great keep your ears peeled for that one you've got Keeping It Strong Style with Jeremy and Josh um, and Rich Slatter's One Nation Radio One Nation Live and I'll leave you to plug your own show Rance because I'm doing an absolute nightmare again I think that was pretty entertaining I think that was pretty good Um, so you can follow me at it's Ray Cash R-E-Y as in Mysterio C-A-S-H as in Dollars you can follow the show at Outsiders Edge SS, and it has become a gimmick for me to say at this point that we will start tweeting from that account eventually. Uh, I promise. Um, I also write for thechairshot.com. Uh, it's been a, I'm, I'm due for a column pretty soon now. I've kind of took a little bit of a break, but you should see some columns pop back in sometime, maybe this next week. Um, 
my partner in crime, uh, who also Ricky and Clyde tend to like better than me, is uh, my boy Carl. You can follow him at Outsider Curvin. Uh, and yeah, um, speaking of some big guests, I'm working on a couple of myself. So, Ooh. you know. Ooh, yeah, foreshadowing. <laughs> um, I do know this. Um, good friend of the podcast and my personal good friend, the doc Chad Matthews will be on uh, the first weekend the first week of eight of august to uh you know just chop it up with his boy and to plug his new book i want to give a shout out to chad i got an advanced copy the name of the book is the greatest the greatest matches and rivalries of the wrestlemania era and if you have not read one of chad's books you are missing out they are tremendous i am going to start reading that probably today or tomorrow and uh but yeah that's all i got for you man excellent good stuff um I was going to say something there and it's gone. Yes, I won't actually be here next week. I am going on holiday slash vacation with the family. Um, so Ricky should be back and I believe Ranch is looking to come and talk about the Extreme Rules preview. Don't want to, I'm back. I don't want to guarantee you're on. I'm just putting it out there that you might be back on. And that's it. So, well, let me say this. Mm-hmm. Today, today is our Independence Day, Americans. And we have already finally put into uh, put into action plan take back Europe with having Meghan Markle as the future queen. <laughs> so I'm doing my part in this quest to take over Scotland by taking over the Ricky and Clive wrestling show. So I have been on this week to replace Ricky and next week I will replace Clive. The week after that, it will be known as The Rants presents Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show. So I just want you guys to know that. I am looking out for my country. Well, that is some bold claims from Rance McMorris there. I'm not sure if that can be allowed. <laughs> right, so we'll call it quits tonight then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, appreciate you guys listening. Take care. I will be back next week uh, as part of the takeover. <laughs> Rance McMorris takes over. He'll be wearing a he'll be wearing a kilt next week as well. Aye, <laughs> aye. It'll be a it'll be a it'll be a, a a wee good time. A little good time. A little good time. We're going to get to the bottom of it. And uh, our interview will be with the the fucking Highlanders. So it will. <laughs> Well, see, now, I'm going to call Noam Dar, since he don't like you two, and see if we can make this thing work. Well, thanks for letting everyone know that we failed to get a scoop. <laughs> I thought it was common knowledge, my bad. You can could, you could cut that off if you want to. It's all right. Wolfgang said no as well. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for listening, guys. Yes, and thank you for listening. Enjoy your Independence Day. For the rest of the world, enjoy your day. And Rance, thank you once again for coming on. Good night, and I will see you in a few weeks, but someone will speak to you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Podcast. We'll see you next time.